you would, I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 5. And also Matthew chapter 5 as well. James 5 and Matthew 5. As it just so happens to work out, if you have been going through our Bible reading plan, um, you would have read what we're going to be reading in Matthew 5 for today's reading. Begin reading in Matthew 5, I mean James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now Matthew 5, 33. Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Pray with me. Lord, we ask that you would come and you would speak to us in this moment, that we would clearly hear from you. Lord, we have heard a lot of words this week. We have had a lot thrown at us this week. But there is nothing more important than sitting before you and listening to you speak to us. Your words are true. Your words bring life, and we need life. So, Lord, now I pray that in this moment, my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But, Lord, may your words remain, and may they change us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Just a few years back earlier from writing this letter, James had a very uh, vivid experience, something that I'm sure he, he did not wish to repeat or something he, he would not have liked to witness again, but he was gathered with the apostles and a couple from the church came before him. And the couple gave a very generous gift to the church, laid it at the apostles' feet, and Peter asked The husband, is this all the money that you got from selling the property? Because that is what Ananias, the husband, had said. Yes, this is everything that we got, and it is all to the church. And James got to witness Ananias fall to the floor and drop dead in a moment. And then he got to witness his wife come in. And Peter asked the same thing. He said, is this the amount you sold the property for? And is this everything you've given to the church? And she said, yes. He said, the the very feet who dragged your husband outside of this door are about to drag yours. And she dropped dead and was dragged out of the room. I'm sure that that forever was etched in James's mind of the importance of telling the truth 
in the community of God. What's so interesting about that story um, is that there were a lot worse sins done in the Bible. A lot worse sins that the New Testament church was doing. And in Corinth alone, you have you know, people getting drunk at communion. You have uh, somebody is sleeping with his father's wife. Um, you have uh, people eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. You, you, you have lots of sin in the church, but nobody is ever struck dead from those sins. It's just here when two church members give a generous gift and they lie about it, they are struck dead. And James is thinking from that moment, he's like, truth in the church is essential. For the community of God to really be the community of God, we can't hold back from one another. We have to speak truth to one another. Otherwise, it destroys the very fabric of who we are. And up to that point in the church, John or Jesus' prayer in John 17 was being fulfilled, that the church was being one. Then he had Ananias and Sapphira come and shatter that with a lie. And now James is coming to this point in his letter, and he is saying, hey, before I'm about to wrap up this letter, I need to tell you something. Do not lie. He begins this section by saying, above all my brothers... Do not swear. And now most commentators here are going to tell you that uh, he's not saying that this truth I'm about to tell you is more important than all the others. This is a way of saying kind of one final thing. Or before I forget, let me, let me remind you of this. And so before he closes his letter in James, he wants to make sure he talks about the integrity of God's people. And you might think that he's exaggerating in his letter when he writes that we have to tell the truth or, or we're going to fall under condemnation. But he's not. He's, for one, he has seen instant judgment. But also he's just realizing this is how the community of God that really believes Jesus is the Messiah and he is our king, this is how we are to live. Now, lying has been around, you know, since the dawn of time. We've seen a whole lot of it um, in this past election season. Uh, thank goodness it is over. I mean, fair share of lies on both parties. Uh, I find it interesting that in every year during election season, it's always about the economy. Every, uh, each candidate is always talking about the economy, and they're kind of bending facts to, to tell how they're the ones who can really get the economy going. What I find interesting, actually, is the word economy, because most people don't know where that word comes from. Uh, the word economy was actually first used in the monasteries, way, way back in the Middle Ages. It was used by monks to describe someone who handled their household well. It, it was described, it was used to describe people who had family devotions, and so this is how the reformers used the word. This is how the Puritans would later use the word. A man who had good economics was somebody who prayed with his children, prayed with his wife, taught them to love and to fear the Lord, managed his household well. And that became later, well, that's the kind of person you can do business with. That's the kind of person you can trust that's the person when they shake your hand and they say, I'm going to do this, you knew that their yes would be yes and their no would be no. And it later came to be used just to describe 
finances. Which is just so interesting because, you know, how far have we come with use of that word? When you think of Wall Street, um, when you think of banks, when you think of uh, stores and advertisements, do you think of, when you hear the word economics and you think of them, do you think truth? Typically we think, no, people are lying, 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 trying to get us, trying to sell us something we don't even need. James says, no, we got to be different than the world. We have to live lives of the utmost integrity. Our yes has to be yes, and our no has to be no. And when James tells us that we are not to swear either by heaven or by earth, but to let our yes be yes and our no be no, um, he's really summarizing what Jesus had said at the Sermon on the Mount, what we just read in Matthew 5. Now, I don't believe James or Jesus is actually prohibiting Christians from ever taking a vow, um, because vows are all in the Bible. Uh, vows are actually all in the New Testament. Uh, Paul is going to take vows after this. I mean, he's going to say things like, as God is my witness, he's going to say this. As God is my witness, I am not lying to you, and he's going to say some things. Paul will we'll later take vows. And in the Old Testament, the people of God were actually commanded to take vows. In Deuteronomy 10, <coughs> the Lord tells the people that they are, you must swear by my name that you will hold fast to me. And so I don't think James or Jesus here is speaking against all vows. But what they are addressing is something that was happening during this time, during the New Testament, in which the biblical teaching of taking vows or oaths was being greatly abused. Um, for instance, uh, a lot of oaths were binding, and a lot of oaths were seen as not being binding. So if you swore by, you know, I swear by my, my mother's life that I'm telling you the truth, that actually wasn't that binding, but if you swore by my mother's life on the name of the Lord, that could be considered a little more binding. Um, and actually, there, there's a whole huge section in the Mishnah, which was the, uh, the teachings to the Jews at this time, that dealt with what oaths were binding and what oaths were not binding, depending on what you happened to swear by. And, and usually it resulted in this. The closer you came to swearing on the temple and the inner parts within the temple, the more binding your oath was. So if you just swore by Jerusalem that I'm telling you the truth, people are like, yeah, whatever, you're probably lying. If you say, well, I swear by the temple gates, maybe. Well, I swear by the temple itself. All right, we're batting 500 here. I'm not sure, you know. And it's like, I swear by the altar, possibly telling the truth. But as you got closer and closer and closer, that is uh, what's considered a more binding oath. And so Jesus alludes to this later in Matthew, Matthew 23, when he says to the scribes and Pharisees, Woe to you, blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anybody swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by such an oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if he swears by the gift that's on top of the altar, then he's bound by his oath. 
you blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Jesus is saying here, hey, there's, there's no degrees of truthfulness depending on what you swear on or what, or what you don't swear on because God's in all of this. All right? This is the same thing he is saying in chapter 5. Look, look closely at those words in Matthew 5. Look at verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. He's saying, listen, there, there's no difference. If you swear by Jerusalem, or you swear by heaven, or you swear by earth, because God's present in all of those places. He's everywhere. He's just as present in Jerusalem, just the outside of the city as he is in the inner temple, as he is on the altar, as he is in Galilee. He is present everywhere. And then in verse 36, he says, don't even swear by your own head. Because he says, you know what? You can't, you're not even in control of your own life. It's not your life to take or to lose. You can't even change your hair color. God's sovereign over your own life. So don't swear by your own head. Don't swear by different objects because realize God is everywhere. It is just as binding no matter what you swear on. So I don't believe that James or Jesus is saying that if you you were dragged into court and they gave you a Bible and you were to swear on it to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, that you're not supposed to do that. What they are saying is it should make no difference if you put your hand on the Bible and swore or not. Because your yes should always be yes. Your no should always be no because you are always in the presence of God. You're always taking an oath. Most of the oaths that we tend to take are usually because there is a lack of truthfulness in our lives. Maybe some of you say this or slip into saying this at times. You're like, now, now I'm telling you the truth about this. And then you say something. Now, now this, is, this is the honest to God truth. And then you speak. And the moment we as Christians say that, what we're saying is, hey, I want you to know everything else I say is suspect. That I have different levels of truth. But really my whole life should fall under suspicion. So, so we don't need to say things like, you know, on my mother's grave, I'm, I promise you, or make pinky promises, or cross my heart, hope to die, stick a noodle in my eye. You know, really, it, it should not matter. We speak truth at all times. Now, I'll say before I was um, studying through this text, I thought I was really good at telling the truth. Um, it's something I, I, I prided myself on so foolishly. I can remember my dad sitting me down when I was a small boy, and uh, we, had, we had this heart-to-heart talk. And he said, Joel, you're going to do some stupid things as you get older. 
you're going to make some mistakes. You're going you're to disobey me. And, uh, and when you do those things, you'll be punished. We're going to deal with them. And he said, look at me. He goes, one thing, though, you will never, ever do. You will never lie to me. Ever. He said, I'm not saying if you tell me the truth, you're not going to get in trouble. You very well might get in trouble, but you will never lie to me. And I remember him saying that, and I was scared to death. And I can't ever remember a time of lying to my dad. Even if it meant I knew I was going to get in horrific trouble, it was like this one person, I I can't lie to my father. And so I had thought, you know, that I was doing pretty, pretty well in the whole telling truth department, and so I really started digging in. And I started realizing how untruthful at times I can be. Uh, here's some common things that I think maybe a lot of us struggle with, things that we lie about. For starters, at, at church, we say yes to many things. That's what the word amen means. All right? Amen simply means let it be, or we agree, or yes. Um, and so when we cry out amen, which most of you don't have to worry about, I think you're all kind of like, you know, the silent inward cry. Um, you know, feel free if you ever want to let out the outward cry. But if you cry out amen, like to a truth you hear in a sermon or to a scripture read or to something that's declared in a song, and then you leave the doors and you go home, is that truth still a yes to you? Or is it now a no? So, when you say things like, Amen, God, you are all that I need. I don't need anything else other than you. And you're, you're like, yes, your soul is fired up saying yes. And then you go home. Is it still a yes? Or do you begin needing so many other things? Has your yes turned to a no? When you say, yes, Lord, you have... You have forgiven me of my sins. I'm a child of yours. Does that turn into no when you get home, when you you all of a sudden become overcome by guilt and by shame? Or when you say, yes, God, you're sovereign. You are good over everything. Does it turn to no when a tragedy hits and you forget it all? What happens to your amens that are here in public? What happens to them when you get in private? Do they turn into a no? Are you a different person on the internet than you are in person? You know, are, are your Facebook statuses, your little tweets, are, are, are those honest things, you know, truly revealing about who you are? Or uh, do they deceive others? Parents, how often have you said this? We're leaving in two minutes, okay? Two minutes, just give me two minutes. All right, that's kind of like, you know, a... a Thousand years is as a day to the Lord. I mean, the two minutes for a parent, for a child, is, is, it could be hours. It, it, our children are looking at us and they're trying to learn. Are we going to stick to our word when we say things like that? What, what do we say when we say, hey, give two minutes. We're going to leave in two minutes, and it's really 30 minutes later. Do you ever tell people that you haven't had the chance to respond to their email? Or that you didn't get their message. Sorry, I just didn't get your message when in fact you had. 
Or in fact, you read through the email real quick, but you just didn't want to reply. You ever not get a joke, but laugh anyway? That's a lie. You want people to think that you got it. And so, so you want to put that forward there. You don't, you don't want to be left out. I found that one of the most common and damaging lies within the church is this. And I hear this a lot. People will come up to me and they'll say, you know, I, I really believe that the Lord is telling me to do this. But really, it's not the Lord. They're just doing what they want to do. And they're kind of using some spiritual language to make themselves feel better. I know a number of people who say this a lot of times. They go, the Lord so clearly told me that I was supposed to do this. He so clearly told me I was supposed to buy this car, or so clearly told me I was supposed to take this job, clearly told me I was supposed to move over here, clearly told me I was supposed to date this person. And they're always saying that the Lord is so clearly speaking to them. And I want to be like, really? Because he rarely speaks to me so clearly. And I think a lot of times Christians just want to use this spiritual language. They want to lie so they make themselves feel Spiritually superior than everybody else. Uh, people used to ask me all the time after I, I planted this church, they're like, well, tell us about, you know, when the Lord called you to, uh, to start Redeemer. I'm like, well, oh gosh, you know, I, I kind of had a hunch. Like, well, no, like, where, you know, where's the clarity in the call? When did he, like, speak to you to do this? And I was like, well, we kind of saw a need, kind of a maybe direction in that way, and so we, we, Lauren and I prayed about it, and we, we took a step of faith and did it. So there was no, like, voice. There was no clarity. I was like, no, there was just faith. And I think when we consistently tell people how clearly we're always hearing the Lord, what we're doing is we're damaging their faith so much because they might not be hearing clearly. Now, we, we can at times hear clearly, clearly, clearly from the Lord, you see that in the New Testament. There might be a time where we're in a worship service, you know, and God says, hey, set aside Paul, Barnabas. You're sending them on the mission field. And we're like, got it, clear as day. But there might be some other things about, am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to give to this person? What kind of car am I supposed to get? You don't know. You might feel an inkling of the Spirit leading this way. Don't lie about it. Don't put yourselves out there as being so much spiritually superior than others. Another common lie by Christians sounds like this. Well, I know I told you this, but the Lord is now leading me in a different direction. Uh, I know I told you that, um, that I would teach children's church, you know, or I, I would go on this mission trip or that I would take this job. I know I told you I would do that, but I really feel like the Lord is now leading me over here. And usually that leading you over here is something a lot more cool and exciting than what you were going to do. Let me just tell you right off, God doesn't do that, all right? This is what the Lord is leading you to do. Let your yes be yes, and your no 
No. Otherwise, you completely blow your witness. All right? This is what happens when we lie to people. When we lie to people, we treat them as something less than human. We treat them as an object, um, an object for our own personal gain. And when we lie to someone, we remove their dignity from them. This is what Satan wants to do to us. Um, He wants to use us for his own personal gain. He wants to rob us of the dignity of being created in the image of God. And so he lies to us. Satan is the father of lies. So anytime we say things like, you know, the Lord wants me to do this, when actually we have said we're going to do this, we're not resembling our heavenly father. We're resembling the father of lies. Blows our witness. I could give more examples, but y'all are looking really depressed. All right? So we'll, we'll move on. Uh, why do we lie? What's the driving impulse of this? Um, there are a lot of reasons. I'm, I'm going to kind of list these reasons under the large heading of this. Hiding. Lying is a way of hiding. We might hide because of fear. We might hide because of pride, but, but we are hiding. When Ananias and Sapphira lied about the amount of money they gave, uh, what they were doing is trying to hide. They didn't want people to see them for who they really were. You know, Barnabas, good old Barnabas just came in and laid down all the proceeds of his land. And they're like, wow, Barnabas is an amazing guy. They wanted to be looked at like that, but they weren't. So they had to hide themselves behind a lie. When you laugh at a joke that you don't understand, you're hiding You don't want to be exposed as somebody stupid enough who didn't get the joke. So you hide behind a lie. When you lie about not reading somebody's email or not having enough time to respond to them, you're hiding your real self because, hey, who really wants to say, actually, it's because I'm a lazy, selfish person who just didn't want to respond to you. I mean, really, do you want to say that? No. So you don't want them to see that, so you hide Behind a lie. Lying is nothing more than fig leaves. Just as Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they they tried to cover themselves and hide themselves. That's what we do with our lies. Because the thought of being exposed before somebody else to where they can see who we really are just makes us shudder. And so when we lie, it shows that we believe in that moment, I need to make up my own identity instead of resting in the identity that God gives me. Now, how can we break through? Uh, Jesus gives us a hint of this in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, when he says that we shall perform to the Lord what we have sworn, It's an interesting phrase, perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Uh, Your NIV says, keep the oaths that you have made. Um, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made. Um, And this is how we normally talk about speaking the truth. We talk about keeping your word. 
And so that's why the NIV translates it that way. But the ESV translates it, performing to the Lord. Um, and the reason there's such different translations there is because it's a, it's a nuanced word. It's a hard, harder word to translate. It really means pay. You are to pay your word. You are to pay your oath. And the idea is this. If you tell the truth, it's going to cost you. That's what paying your oath means. Telling the truth will be a sacrifice. Because you're going to come out of hiding. You're going to expose yourself. People are going to see the wrongs you've done. They're going to see the shameful ways you've acted. They're going to see you for who you are. So it's costly. Uh, But this is also where we find our strength to tell the truth if we look at Jesus. Because Jesus spoke the truth and it cost him in a far more ultimate fashion. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, he said these words, For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. In which Pilate says, what's truth? Sends him off to be killed. When Jesus is before the high priest in Matthew 26, the high priest says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you you are the Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus is asked to take an oath. I adjure you by the living God. This is the highest oath you could take. Tell me if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus says, yes. And you'll see me coming in power. And so they send Jesus off to be crucified. The truth cost Jesus his life. Um, but he's not, he's, it's not just his truth that's costing him his life. It's our lack of truth because that's what he's taking on. It's all of our deceit actually is being put on him that is costing him his life. He is paying the full cost for our deceit when he speaks the truth and it takes his life. You know what? When we really believe the gospel... <coughs> We no longer have to fear being exposed. Picture Jesus exposed on the cross. He was exposed for us, all right? Jesus knows we are far worse than than, than we even know. You think you're bad, you don't know the half of it. He knows your sins and a thousand more. And Jesus says, I see them and I love you anyway. And I have taken all that shame and I have put it on the cross. You don't have to try to hide it from me. I see it. And if you don't have to hide it before your creator, you don't have to hide it before others. You also don't have to fear not being accepted or fear being rejected. Because you know what? In Christ, we're 100% accepted. You don't have to lie to be accepted. You don't have to hide anymore. Not when we look at Jesus and see him stripped down exposed on the cross because he spoke the truth. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that the truth would indeed set us free.
There are some people here who have been hiding for so long. Telling things that they think are just white lies and they've been telling them so long that they've been hiding their true selves for so long they don't even know who they are. Lord, through your spirit, free them of that. Lord, for those of us who feel the need to lie so others might think we are better than we really are, God, just strip that down. You know who we are. You accept us. You took our shame and you nailed it to the cross. May our identity rest in that. God, make us a truthful people because you are a truthful God. May the way that we just speak truth to one another be a reflection of you in this world. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.